0: The last gymnast to go in the women's floor final at the European Championships.
1: Great Britain, 16 years old, bronze in the all round silver on vault.
2: Now this is also a very big tumble. Powers back, double straight, perfect landing.
1: I can't vault, I can't back tuck, or even round off. But in Britain, there are gymnasts who've been doing this since they were four years old. Great Britain's female gymnastics team overturned almost a century of history when they won a bronze in the team event a little earlier today. It's the first time in fact since 1928 that they have managed a medal in the event.
0: I just can't believe it really. It's a dream we never thought was possible. And I'm so proud of all these girls.
1: It is competitive and at the top level it takes rigorous training. This month, some of the cruelty behind that pursuit of perfection became even clearer.
2: We start this hour with breaking news. The release of a damning report into British gymnastics and the abuse of young children. It shows
1: quite graphically stories from gyms from around the United Kingdom, of children being punished. Paige Southern Reason told us she was tied to a horizontal bar and left hanging there, despite being in pain and in tears.
2: I couldn't move.
1: Strapped you by your wrists? Yeah. And did it hurt? Yes. Did you tell her?
2: Yes. I got to the Olympics, but at what cost?
1: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, winning at all costs, the toxic culture of British gymnastics.
2: My name is Rebecca Myers. I'm the assistant news editor of the Sunday Times.
1: You've been following this story and what's been happening in gymnastics, both in the US and also in the UK as well, for quite a long time. When did it first come on your radar?
2: It first came on my radar in late 2019, early 2020, when I started to look at the US case around the former national team doctor, Larry Nassar.
1: The former USA gymnastics doctor accused of abusing nearly 300
0: victims, again today facing new charges of abuse. I will say this, it takes a monster to sexually assault a child. That it takes a monster backed by ego, experience, and power fueled by multiple institutions to sexually assault a child in front of their own mother. That
2: was quite well publicized around particularly 2018 when he was sentenced. But in early 2020, I took the opportunity, it was the two-year anniversary of his sentencing, to take a look at what had actually changed since he was sentenced. And from there, I ended up finding myself in a whole world that I wasn't really expecting.
1: Let's talk about the UK then. And before we get to some of the many problems that have been uncovered in gymnastics, for the most part, away from the competitive side of it, maybe it is a a healthy, nicely competitive thing for thousands and thousands of young people that they enjoy.
2: It's certainly supposed to be. The first time a lot of parents and kids will come into contact with gymnastics often is at a very very young age it's something offered as tumbling or things for tots just a way to play have fun a lot of gymnasts I've spoken to over the past few years have said that often it's very energetic children and their parents just looking to get the energy out of them get them exhausted before bed but then a lot of girls and boys as well take it up in their young years, join a club maybe at their local leisure centre and then of course there are people who progress through to the elite side. If a child then looks incredibly promising then they may be picked up by the system. There's a chance that they would be competing at events across the country and then eventually join the British Gymnastics set up, the British Gymnastics squad at which point they would be receiving funding from UK Sport.
1: Once a child or teenager is in the elite part of the system what does their week look like what does it actually entail
2: it certainly becomes more intense as you get closer and closer to the elite setup there are girls who maybe are promising who can be training 20 hours a week kids find that they have to take some of their schooling after hours or around their gymnastics or they will be in the gym before school so it can be very very full on
1: and what about their diets because that's a big part of it as well not just the actual physical activity
2: Yeah, so this has attracted a lot of criticism in the allegations we've seen over the past two years. There is, in any elite sport, a certain degree of weight management and healthy eating. Nutrition is vital. It's particularly difficult and sensitive in an area where not only are the athletes predominantly female, but also they are predominantly teenagers and underage.
1: And so we've had the White review.
2: The investigation that began almost two years ago, led by Anne White QC and co-commissioned by UK Sports and Sport England, looked into accusations of bullying, abuse and discrimination after numerous British gymnasts spoke out. We'll
1: get into exactly what it was able to vindicate and what it is suggesting needs to be done now in a moment. But just rewind for us and explain how it came to the point where this review was even established.
2: Yeah, so it's quite an extraordinary catalyst, really. So after the piece I did on Larry Nassar, that two-year point looking back at the US case, I then found out that a Netflix documentary is being made called Athlete A. That came out in the summer of 2020 in June. And that basically looked at the Larry Nassar case. But what it also did, crucially, is it looked at wider abuse in
0: gymnastics, dealing with an organization that didn't give a rat's ass about children. NASA was in their target. Our target was USA Gymnastics. You are the president of
1: USA Gymnastics. If you receive a complaint of sexual misconduct, do you turn it over to
2: local authorities? No. It asked the question, were there people around him? Was there a system of abusive practices, such as physical and emotional abuse, that meant that These gymnasts were so worn down by everything else that was happening to them that they were more susceptible to his abuse and to being groomed and preyed upon. When this came out, British gymnasts started watching it and basically recognised those physical and emotional abuse cases as something that happened to them, in their words, all the time. And basically you saw this kind of spiraled outpouring where they started to realise that what they thought was normal was not normal and it was abuse and started speaking up on social media with the hashtag Gymnast Alliance. There had been some rumblings before that point. I'd heard some talk particularly around the weight shaming. I had some concerns about the way that elite gymnasts were eating and being told to monitor their weight. There'd never been this kind of sense that it was this big in the UK. But once that hashtag started, it just completely spiralled.
1: The Netflix documentary Athlete A has prompted young women here like Catherine to find their voices.
2: I was pushed to the point of starving. My body couldn't cope with that. I was training twice a day while I was out there. And with no carbs and as a 10-year-old with a high metabolism, I couldn't cope then when I came back home and started eating normally. So I was throwing it all back up. And I ended up just taking back-to-back phone calls for two weeks from gymnasts, parents, elite and community clubs talking about their experiences.
1: And it spiralled with so many different kinds of accusations of abuse. We mentioned the food control, but that really is just one factor of the various bits of abuse that the White Review has found.
2: In around half of the cases, I'm um, white found either physical abuse or emotional abuse. Talking about adults in a position of power, humiliating you, bullying you, screaming at you. We're talking about gymnasts being sent out of the gym for not trying hard enough or not doing well enough. Physical punishments, whether that's pushing gymnasts to do moves that they're not comfortable with, moves that they're scared of, a case in the report of a young girl forced to stand on a beam for two hours because she didn't want to do a move, all the way through to being slapped or hit.
0: When she was just 10, she says she was hit, shut in a store cupboard, forced to train while injured, including with a serious concussion, and shamed
1: about her weight.
2: In the early days, we heard a story about a girl being dragged across the floor by her hair. And then through to the emotional side, and Anne White really looked at the idea of a culture of fear because she was aware that it was a phrase being used a lot, but she did find that gymnasts were terrified of their coaches. And she said in some cases... Desperate to please them, desperate to be, to perform well, to please this coach who then they cared so much about, but at the same time, absolutely terrified of what they might do if they didn't perform or of their mood swings, things like that. So the emotional abuse is a big factor. She came running out of the gym and said, Mummy, mummy, they don't scream in your face or hurt you. To the point about the weight shaming and weight management as well one of the really standout things in Anne white's report was she said she found stories of gymnasts hiding food in what she called extraordinary places
1: i would i was scared to eat i was scared of the coaches seeing what i
2: was eating So they would go to really extreme lengths to get food because they weren't allowed to snack or they were told not to eat certain things. And she heard of gymnasts hiding food in the ceiling tiles. Um, And that's something we heard a lot about in the US cases as well. That's particular to elite gymnasts, obviously.
1: Because is it the case that that a lot of this can't even in some sort of immensely warped way be seen as doing things which would help them be better gymnasts the really small amount of food that they'll be allowed to have the dehydration and even not letting them go to the toilet I mean that's not even something that you could conceive of as being cruel but good for their sport that's just plain abuse isn't it
2: it is I think it's always interesting to look at how blinded you can become though and, and one of the things Anne White identified in her report was that particularly for parents, some of this stuff was happening so out in the open in front yeah. of other adults, just completely blatant, that your mind always plays tricks on you and you think, it must be fine this person is doing this in front of this other adult and then all these other people and all these other children, so it must just be part of this sport and I think it's a really complicated, strange world tell you not to tell your parents what happened in the gym but if you did and the coaches found out they'll tell the parents that they were lying and they would make us do extra conditioning than the other girls in the next session. Another really interesting area which comes up quite a lot and being made to train through injury and I think that's much more part of this picture of how far do you go for your sport. The practice of, of overstretching so essentially putting someone in the splits and pushing them down further to really get that stretch in has become very widespread interestingly the report said and I've heard it's being done on not elite girls young girls who are just at their local club who just want to practice gymnastics not necessarily wanting to go to the Olympics but also is being done on the Olympic athletes as well We pretty much popped Volterol. This
1: is a serious painkiller
2: Yeah, Some of my teammates could not do a training session without taking those And that's just something that, in particular, would very much look like something that's happening for the good of the sport, for the good of the athlete, but actually is completely overstepping the mark and, in some cases, causing pain and injury. It made me think back to a lot of the girls I've spoken to in the early days and their experiences, and, in particular, the first gymnast to win her case against British Gymnastics, a girl called Eloise.
1: Coming up, how one gymnast took on her abuser... We'll get to that after a word from my colleague. I'm Emma Tucker, editor of The Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. As you said, you've interviewed loads of elite gymnasts who've had problems and quite traumatic experiences in this area. Tell us about Eloise in particular.
2: Eloise was 16 years old when I first started speaking to her in 2020. She'd been a gymnast from a very young age. She was very, very promising. And she eventually reached national level competing in international competitions. She's an acrobatic gymnast, which is a very specific type of gymnastics. It involves a, a sort of very high level of kind of choreography, some dance elements, and these extraordinary moves. If you picture a gymnast sort of balancing on top of another gymnast, that's probably acrobatics. Incredible throws, somersaults, balancing on top of... Of one another, maybe another gymnast on top of that, um, catching each other in midair all sorts of amazing things and it is quite spectacular to, to see but of course very physically demanding and risky and quite dangerous Eloise was at Heathrow Gymnastics Club from the ages of about 10 to 14. She was training 25 hours a week and she she was subjected to inappropriate weight management techniques. And she was weight-shamed by her coach, Andrew Griffiths. She said he would prod her, tell her she looked dreadful. At one point when she was just 12 years old, she says he told her she needed to lose 5 kilograms. She was told at one point to eat as little as 800 calories in a day. The NHS says a teenage girl needs around 2,000. And she says that gymnasts, you know, most of whom are children, let's not forget, would be lined up forced to step on the scales in front of everybody. Sometimes their weight would be announced in front of the group. Sometimes, she says, Griffiths would shout, scream at them if he didn't approve of the weight they were coming in at. This started to give her huge amounts of anxiety. As the weighing sessions approached, she would start to feel sick. She would stop drinking water in an attempt to weigh less when she finally came round to the weighing session. She would sit in boiling hot baths to try and sweat that weight off. And in her words, she says she was terrified of the consequences of not having been seen to lose weight. And
1: was there any attempt by her or her parents to call out the behaviour of the coach who was making it do all of this?
2: So I think one thing that came up a lot in, in among parents that I spoke to is that they often didn't know what their child was going through. Eloise's parents certainly didn't really know what was going on. They certainly didn't realise the extent of it and how much she was struggling with with anxiety and stress over this. When they did end up starting to get a sense that something maybe wasn't right, they did raise a complaint with the club a lot of parents said that to their faces, they were like, OK, we'll look into this. Thank you for raising this with us. But then the child would be, a lot of children say, punished. In Eloise's case, she was the first gymnast to win her legal case against British Gymnastics. They accepted full liability and gave her a full apology two weeks ago. Andrew Griffiths has not commented since the legal case was concluded, but Heathrow Gymnastics have said that he no longer works for them. I think, interestingly, Eloise has almost become a bit of an accidental campaigner. When I first met her, she was still very much a younger teenager. She was experiencing kind of all the mental health impacts of what she'd been through in the sport. And I think that's really important to remember because those gymnasts have come on such a journey from having... Their experiences being seen as something absolutely terrifying to be kept totally secret to them being the subject of a huge report that shows everything that they said all along is true, is an extraordinary moment for them.
1: So what now then? Anne White's review made a load of recommendations. What else did she identify that should change Sharpish?
2: So one of the most crucial things that she identifies as a recommendation in her report is The creation of an independent sport ombudsman. And the great thing about this is that it would, of course, cover all sports in the UK. The idea is that an independent sport ombudsman would be able to oversee issues like this in sport and also hold accountable governing bodies who have these kind of crises and say that they're going to make changes. Because right now, an organisation can say it, but there's not actually an independent body to check that they are going to make these changes. That said, UK Sport have said they'll make that a condition of future funding that they do reform which is really positive but Anne White also says that she looked at things like the minimum age for women at international competition and she said I would have recommended that but until the rest of the world does the same it's impossible for British gymnastics to change and not world gymnastics so that responsibility then goes to the International Gymnastics Federation who need to look at Because at that.
1: the moment, it, it's 16 yeah. for girls, is that right, is, is the minimum age and 18 for boys. Yes,
2: exactly. So a discrepancy there, which is really interesting. And I think a lot of the argument around that is that if you have women being able to compete at international level, you no longer be able to have any girls, they would be women. And Hopefully that would have a knock-on effect on the kind of things like body image that we see. They wouldn't be so young because the younger they are, the more they are trying to basically stave off puberty and have a prepubescent body, which is very thin, very narrow, able to do quite extreme moves in some cases. Some argue that if we had older athletes, they wouldn't be able to achieve some of the same moves there would be a kind of shift in how the sport looked which would be really positive so I think that's a massive issue for the sport to address.
1: And what about as well the idea of keeping better track of complaints against coaches who are doing things that are abusive?
2: So Anne White did not recommend a register of abusive coaches but Gymnasts for Change, the major, the leading campaign group, have called for a regularly updated, maintained public list of coaches who have received bans. Because at the moment, even in this report, a parent reading that report has absolutely no way of knowing whether their coach you know, all the coach that they've complained about mm. has been banned unless British Gymnastics have chosen to announce that. I put that to British Gymnastics. I said, are you going to do something about that? They have said they'll look into it. Whether that actually materialises is a different thing.
1: And British Gymnastics isn't just a, a random gaggle of people who share an interest. There is a governing body, British Gymnastics. So you think where on earth were they in all of this?
2: Yeah, and one of the things that the report says is that while the financial management was very good in the past years, the cultural management has certainly not been good. And I think that there has been a blindness perhaps to quite the extent of what's going on. Anne White did identify that there was a bit of a reticence perhaps to sanction coaches in the past, which obviously is a huge problem because if there's complaints against a coach, that coach needs to be sanctioned and removed from the sport and not allowed to continue to work with children. But yeah, there are huge questions here for the organisation about how they have conducted investigations into coaches in the past and will continue to do so in the future. Things like a lot of parents told me about a uh, closed doors culture, this idea that British gymnastics policy said that parents should be able to watch children being coached. There should be a total open door policy. They should be allowed to come in whenever they want. In reality, basically every single parent I spoke to said that they were really discouraged from coming in, told things like, if you come and watch your child, they'll be distracted by you. They might fall off the beam and hurt themselves. Um made to feel as though they were pushy and in the way if they did come in really frowned upon as a practice. In some more extreme cases, you know, windows in the doors of the gym being papered over. So although that policy was in British Gymnastics book, as it were, mm. there was a question there of whether they were actually enforcing it and checking.
1: Is there something about gymnastics that makes this kind of thing More likely, or is this the case that this could be just across all elite sport in some kind of way?
2: I think both is true. I think this report raises questions for all elite sports. It raises huge questions about the fixation on medals that there has been pretty much since the build up to 2012. It raises big questions about the idea of pushing through pain and pushing athletes to extremes in order to achieve success. UK sport reject the idea that there is a what's been referred to as a kind of cash for medals system whereby, you know, a governing body of a sport gets more money if they win more medals. So there has to be broader mm-hmm. questions about the elite sports system in this country and what price a medal, basically. What are we willing to sacrifice to get that gold? But in my opinion, after my reporting that there is something very particular about gymnastics, there's lots of parts to that, Um I'd urge anyone who has an interest in this to read the book by Joan Ryan which was published in the 1990s which is called Little Girls in Pretty Boxes and that's about gymnastics and also figure skating and I will say as a a journalist it's pretty scary to read something that was written 30 years ago and think this could be written today and we're reporting on the same stuff.
1: (laughs) But what was her point there that it's a kind of age and gender dynamic that if you've got it's older men and younger girls and they're unfortunately in in some instances, abuse thrives.
2: Yeah, I think particularly it's the dependence on aesthetics. So one parent put yeah. it really well to me when they said that gymnastics basically, it's perfection is the sort of set standard and then you get deductive marks for what you don't achieve within that. I think for me, when you're told that you're deficient on a hourly, weekly basis, that has long-term significant mental health effects. There's... Obviously, all the aesthetics of very small, young female bodies that generally came in around the '70s.
0: What happened when you were 15? Didn't you start to develop the, yes. the sin of all sins? The sin of all sins for gymnasts. I started to become a woman.
2: And we do see a movement increasingly towards older, more muscular bodies, perhaps. But that, you know, is an ongoing issue that really needs addressing. Um, Anne White said in her report that the sport needs to look at leotards. The fact that the the standard is a very skimpy leotard is surely problematic. Those last words, my words, not hers. So there's lots of aspects of gymnastics that just make it, I think, a real breeding ground for problematic practices. (laughs)
1: Now we've had this moment of vindication, all of these stories, all this testimony. How much holding to account have we actually had of individuals, of coaches who have abused people, of people who have let it happen?
2: Not much. (laughs) There were a couple of named people in the White Report, but probably more notably, not many. I have a working list of coaches that I know allegations have been made against over the past two years. Most of them I still don't know What has happened to them? What stage their investigation is at? When I've raised those questions with British Gymnastics, they've told me that's a private personnel matter and they can't comment on individual cases.
1: And would they still be working with young gymnasts now or they'd have been suspended?
2: We don't know. So there are are some that have been suspended that's been Mm. publicised. Either British Gymnastics have done a press release or someone has found that information out. But there are others who we don't know about. So British Gymnastics have said that Eloise's coach has had his membership ended. So that is a a case that has reached a conclusion. One thing I would say was that we understand that he went along to the World Acrobatic Championships while British Gymnastics knew that that case was ongoing just a couple of months before that was settled. So that raises some concerns, definitely. But as Mm. we understand it now, he cannot coach and he will not be coaching again. uh...
1: And what about athletes and gymnasts who have maybe been in the thick of all of this or are adjacent to it? How has this moment been received by them? And is there a fear that even though lots of people keep talking about this as a watershed moment, it could be a wasted moment? Things could not really change for the better?
2: I think there is definitely quite a positive feeling, quite a sense that this is going to be a game changer. I think... That maybe gymnasts weren't sure, parents weren't sure that this report would be as damning as it has been. I certainly, I will hold my hands up and say I was impressed at the extent to which it covered all the allegations we'd heard. Basically everything that people told me over the past two years was in this report. It is incredibly extensive and therefore very, very shocking and damning. I think therefore there is hope.
1: What's happening with Eloise now?
2: Eloise, it's been, I have to say, quite amazing to watch her kind of grow into the woman she's become. She's been so articulate and I think brave around this. It's a huge thing for a teenager to go through. When we first spoke, she was 16 years old. She's now 18 and she is just ready to live a life without all of this hanging over her and and to start again.
1: you've been listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of the times and the sunday times today with me luke jones and my guest assistant news editor at the sunday times rebecca myers you can find all of rebecca's work at thetimes.co.uk, or you can pick up a nice old-fashioned paper copy the producer today was katie tarrant the executive producer was kate ford and sound design was by david crackles if you have a story that you think we should be covering on the podcast, maybe you have an idea for a future episode or you have a bit of feedback, you can email us anytime. Stories of our times is where to find us. Goodbye.